This is a Federal News Network podcast. Not many people would trade jobs with those who have to keep watch over inmates in federal prisons. Now that job has become more dangerous as coronavirus has spread in the prison's close quarters. Joining me with a situation report, the president of the AFGE National Council of Prison Locals 33, Shane Fozzie. Mr. Fozzie, good to have you on. Good morning, Tom. Give us the backdrop of, I guess, two things. One, labor relations with the Bureau of Prisons and the union in general. And also, I'd like to get to what things are like in the federal penitentiaries at this point in terms of officer safety. Let's start with labor relations. Labor relations have become rather challenging under the current administration. So the Department of Justice and the Bureau of Prisons, we're in full-blown national contract negotiations. We're trying to process policies. I mean, we have some conversation up until the COVID-19 national declaration, and the Bureau of Prisons has gone pretty silent. So you have a contract that is in place now, or are you on a continuation of an old contract? We're on a continuation of our old master agreement, and we're in the process, well, we were before COVID-19, we were at the table negotiating ground rules. And what are some of the issues that are apart with you and the BOP right now? I, I imagine staffing levels is probably one of them. We have been plagued with staffing concerns since about 2005. They uh, implemented a program called Mission Critical, which they took about 20% of the correctional services staff or your officers in your prisons. And consistently over the years, most notably January of 2017, they executed another series of cuts. We're down probably close to 9,000 to 10,000 positions since 2005. Uh, Unfortunately, in a prison, when you reduce your overall staffing numbers, your violence exponentially increases. And there have been some pretty bad incidents in the last couple of years? There has been some extremely bad incidents, especially since January of 17. We've noticed the suicide rate amongst inmates has almost doubled. When you cut staffing numbers, there is definite consequence. So it's not necessarily only a consequence for the staff, but also for the inmates as well. Correct. I mean, it directly affects the level of safety in your institution. It's what we call a staff-to-inmate ratio. It's how many officers do you have for a certain number of inmates. When that number starts to drop or you have less supervision, exponentially violent or reportable incidents increase, like homicide, suicide, and things of that nature. So part of the negotiations then is the union would like to see staffing levels simply rise across the board for a given shift. That's correct. Unfortunately, we have to resort to a lot of legislative activity and or garnering some support from our congressmen and senators to get that done. The agency sometimes just can't help itself. All right. And let's talk about the coronavirus now. That has come into prisons in a pretty big way at all levels, federal on down. How has that affected your members? Unfortunately, it's seriously impacted the lives of our members, just as well as it has the entire country in the situation that we're in. The numbers as of this morning, we lost our 49th inmate. We have lost one employee to COVID-19. We have over 3,300 inmates that have tested positive and over 250 staff that have tested positive. Understanding that those numbers are extremely low considering our population numbers, because testing is not readily available and or the Bureau of Prisons is not mass testing like we're expecting them to do. That is to say you feel the numbers are actually larger if everyone was tested? The two facilities that we've done mass testing, 
we're getting numbers between 70 and 80% of the inmate population is testing positive. That's about four facilities. So you can see the numbers are going to exponentially increase. And in those facilities, I guess, are all the facilities, the inmates and the correctional officers do come close to one another, don't they? You don't have a choice. Uh, Physical security requires a hands-on approach when it comes to your higher security levels. What we're finding is our most problematic institutions are your low security institutions, where you don't have a physical or natural barrier in between human beings. Social distancing becomes more of a challenge because they share showers, they share sinks and commodes and things of that nature. So these would be, say, the white-collar types of criminals that live more in a dormitory type of environment than a cell-by-cell. A little bit more towards your drug-related offenses. Your white-collar crimes tend to be housed in your camp-type or non-secured facilities. What we're finding is the most problems are in the low-security secured facilities. They have fences and, and infrastructure to keep inmates inside the building. We're speaking with Shane Fozzie. He's president of the AFGE National Council of Prisons, Local 33. And how has the Bureau of Prisons been with respect to supplying personal protection gear and supplies that the correctional officers and the inmates might need? Unfortunately, we're vying for the same stock of PPE as what we refer to it as uh, different types of protective equipment. We're vying for the same stock that the entire world's trying to get their hands on right now. So unfortunately, the Bureau in this pandemic first affected us, was very ill-prepared, and the Bureau has a history of being reactive, not proactive. So they're trying to play catch-up. I think they're doing a better job, but we need more what we call certified PPE. They're trying to use cloth face masks when OSHA says we should have a surgical mask or an N95 respirator. There's a distinct difference between the two. And those supplies now, how would you rate them in terms of availability at the institution's you know, one by one. I would say the stock availability in most institutions is fair. And I'm going to go out on a limb to say that because we have asked leadership of the Bureau of Prisons a number of occasions, formally and informally, hey, can you give us the numbers so we can decide what institutions need them and kind of help, you know, redistribute the supplies to the institutions that need them the most. And they absolutely refuse to answer all of our requests. And a lot of congressional requests have gone unanswered as well. Interesting. And what about the inmates? Do they willingly wear masks or do they use maybe a cough as some sort of a punitive thing in certain situations? Getting them to wear the mask is a challenge, but I would say far and wide for the most part, the inmates have been extremely compliant. The inmates are as concerned or downright scared as you know the staff are when dealing with an invisible monster. But just to go back to your earlier point, you have made requests for the BOP to take measure of what it is that the institutions need and they haven't been all that responsive? They give generalized responses like we have enough PPE to last from two weeks to two months. But I'm not sure how that plays into figuring out an equation, but we need distinct numbers. Where is it at? How much do we have? Because there's institutions that have a higher rate of COVID-19 and there's some that have no effects. So we would like to help distribute that supplies to where they need it the most. All right. And my question would be then, where do you go from here? And what's your expectation of when these contract negotiations might be settled? The contract negotiations are everything that we do as a national council is secondary to surviving the pandemic that we're in the middle of. We're seeing our numbers are continuing to rise. We've really had a staffing challenge before COVID-19, so this just exacerbated a problem 
to the extent where they're deploying staff from administrative buildings to different facilities just to keep them functioning. So we're a long ways away from turning the corner, so to speak. And we need to survive the virus, number one. The paramount concern is how do we do that without affecting the local communities and or bringing the virus home to our families. And then once we contain the outbreak and control its spread, where do we go from there? What is the next step of returning to normalcy? And would you rate correctional officer as a difficult job? I would rate correctional officer as one of the most challenging professions in the country. You have a captive audience, no pun intended, and they're very challenged. A lot of the young men that we see coming into the system didn't have a family-type structure. So a lot of successes when you want to return an inmate to society and you want them to be productive is teaching them how to be a productive person, how to get a job, how to get up in the morning, and just basic things. So a correctional officer's job is more than just security. It's how do you communicate with human beings? How do you get inmates from a dozen different countries that barely speak English? How do you get them all to cooperate with each other through the course of the day? And all of that, coupled with the propensity for violence that our population has, makes it that much more challenging. But I will tell you, the correctional officers in the Bureau of Prisons are hands down the best in the world. Shane Fozzie is president of the AFGE National Council of Prison Locals 33. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Have a good day. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.